This is Laura London, and you're listening to Speaking of Jung. Joining us today for episode 95 is the editor of the best of James Hollis, the Reverend Dr. Logan C. Jones in Raleigh, North Carolina. He holds a master's degree in psychology from the University of Alabama, a master of divinity from the Divinity School at Duke University, and a doctorate in education from NC State. He is a certified educator with the Association for Clinical Pastoral Education and is an ordained minister in the Moravian Church of America. Reverend Dr. Jones worked as a hospital chaplain for 34 years and taught clergy and seminary students the art of pastoral and spiritual care in crisis situations in hospitals. He spent 25 years as Director of Pastoral Care Services at the University of North Carolina's award-winning Rex Healthcare. He is the author of two books of poetry, No Man's Land and Last Call, and a collection of essays and reflections on the art of pastoral supervision titled The Care of Souls. His latest book, The Best of James Hollis, Wisdom for the Inner Journey, was published by Chiron on October 1st, and it is the subject of our talk today. This inspiring 336-page book is a collection of excerpts from the writings of world-renowned Jungian analyst and author Dr. James Hollis, who also wrote the preface. The selections chosen by Rev. Dr. Jones are taken from Hollis's entire oeuvre, from the middle passage published by Inner City Books in 1993, to Prisms, published earlier this year by Chiron. Each of the 22 chapters covers a different topic. They include Jung's concepts of anima and animus, complexes, individuation, persona, projection, and shadow, as well as the subjects of children and parents, death and loss, depression, marriage and relationships, men, religion and spirituality, and vocation. Speaking of young listeners will be familiar with the writings of Dr. Hollis, as he has been a guest on five of our episodes. You can learn more about his entire body of work, including his 17 books, audiobooks, online video courses, films, and upcoming webinars on our special James Hollis page in the blog section. Please visit the website speakingofyoung.com where you will find links to everything discussed in this episode in the show notes. This interview is being recorded on Wednesday, October 20th, 2021, through the magic of Zoom. Reverend Dr. Jones, it is my honor to have you here today. Thank you, Laura, and I appreciate you having me on. We are here to discuss the new book, the best of James Hollis. But before we get into that, I would like to talk a little bit about your background. You are a teaching chaplain. That's exactly right. And would you tell us a little bit about that? Well, uh, in the field of clinical pastoral education, basically that is what we call experiential theological education where seminary students and clergy come into the clinical setting of a hospital. They are oriented and then begin to visit patients and families uh, on the clinical units, bring those experiences back into supervision with their supervisor 
and other peers and reflect on uh, what they did well, what they did not do well, where they got anxious, where they stubble, uh, stumbled, um, you know, just how they were present with these people in crisis. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a very, um, can be a very emotional uh, learning process because uh, there's just grief and loss everywhere in the hospital setting. Yeah. Yeah. And these students may have not had any experience uh, being around illness and death, and it taps into their own histories and their own stories. And so it's a real, um, almost like a dance of learning, of getting them to reflect on their own stories so they can begin to hear and be present to the stories of mm-hmm. others. And I heard your talk with John Daly at Chiron, and shout out to John for recording that and uploading it to YouTube. I'll provide a link to that uh, interview in the show notes. You mentioned something. I really like the way you put it. Uh, it's something that we've been pointing out on this podcast since the beginning, and you summed it up in this in this brief sentence. You pointed out that sometimes people in therapeutic positions get tripped up, as you said, uh, that their own personal history impacts their encounters with others. And you right. talked about the importance, yeah, of knowing your own story. Right. Just in my experience of doing this work myself and uh, supervising students, um, I really believe that the more that we know of our own story and do that really deep interior work, the better able we will be able to sit and just intently and humbly listen to the story of another. Mm -hmm. And one of the hardest things to do is not try to fix someone else's pain Mm -hmm. and just be present to it and hear the lament and honor the lament without getting anxious, um, trying to patronize somebody with a pat on the head and a quick prayer and leave. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the hardest things to teach our student chaplains is just the power of being present Mm -hmm. uh, and just showing up and being present and available and letting the person know that you are there to hear their story and to hear all of it. And that, that Laura is really, um, I think the essence of the healing process. It's not fixing something. It's just having your story heard. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And in your book, uh, which was published in 2019, titled The Care of Souls, Reflections on the Art of Pastoral Supervision, you say that what we're teaching is the care of souls. And I hope you don't mind me mentioning this, but I also noticed in the preface to that book, you dedicate it to your parents and you say, they cared for my soul. What did you mean by that? Um. Wow. Um, I think what I meant by that was they gave me space um, to find my own path. Yeah. Um, uh, There was, uh, and it was a long and uh, winding road, as the Beatles say. Um, But I never felt pressure that I had to meet 
um, their expectations. Uh, so I was sort of the uh, odd man out in my family of origin. Um, and sort of a, a different than my siblings. And so uh, I, in my growing up, I really had a hard time trying to find my place within my family of origin. And looking back on my history, um, it seemed like that was okay with them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I often said that uh, I didn't understand them and they didn't understand me. And that was okay. Yeah. I think a lot of us uh, can relate to that. I know I can. Also in the preface to that book, you you talk about what what you mentioned earlier about listening and how listening requires patience and and it's not about fixing. So in addition to the book that we're here to talk about today, The Best of James Hollis, I would like to um, point the listeners to uh, your previous book, The Care of Souls. You are also an accomplished poet and I read some of your poetry, and as I've mentioned on this podcast before, that's really not my thing, but I have to say yours hits different. It has a depth to it, and uh, no doubt Dr. Hollis's influence, but it also has an edge that I just wasn't expecting. Um, you sent me a couple from uh, a book that I think has not been published yet. Is it okay if I mention the title? Yes. So In Search of Mickey Mantle, the two poems um, that, is that just your book or is that a compilation? No, that's uh, that's my new book. That's your new book. Okay, so. I've sent it to a publisher and I'm waiting to hear if they'll uh, accept it. Wonderful. Well, uh, I'd like to give a plug for it because the two poems you sent me from that book really struck me. And I, I'll i definitely buy that book. So <laughs> tell us a little bit about uh, what led you to writing poetry. Gosh, um, that is part of the long and winding road in my yeah. life. Um, gosh, I always um, kind of growing up dabbled in poetry and um, my dad had a poetic wit about him. Um, he was just kind of a funny story. In a, my senior year in high school, one of the assignments that we were supposed to write a poem, senior English. And I just sort of blew it off. The night before it was due, I asked my dad, you know, I need a poem. Well, he rattled off about six or eight lines just like that. I wrote it down and turned the poem in and ended up winning first prize mm -hmm. in the poetry contest. Mm -hmm. And his poem was published in the student newspaper. So I always say he won the um, best poem in mm -hmm. senior English. <laughs> and uh, he, got a, he got a real kick out of that. And uh, to my chagrin and regret, I never uh, confessed. Oh, you uh, didn't? Oh. No, no. I, <laughs> I claimed it as mine. It was our little secret. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it was always there, and I never knew what to do with it. Uh, I always liked to read uh, Gibran in college, but I, I didn't know what to do with it. Um, 
And then in uh, midlife, um, I sort of began dabbling, writing things down. I would send some things off. Uh, most of them would get rejected. Some got published. Uh, I liked doing it, but I didn't know how to do it. And I just kept writing stuff. And then at uh, sort of my midlife crisis time when I was in therapy, that just brought up all sorts of feelings and memories mm-hmm. uh, and doing my own work. And I would write these things down and bring them to my therapist and we'd talk about them and I, that would activate other things. And uh, I just ended up getting just lots of poems coming to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was like the floodgates were opened. Mm-hmm. And um, well, and let me back up on that. In okay. my early 20s, when I was doing my uh, clinical pastoral education residency, um, my first one, um, and reflecting on my experiences in the hospital and with patients and families, um, I would find that a lot of my writing had, it was poetic. And my supervisor, uh, Perry Miller, uh, named me as a poet. Mm. He saw that in me and named it, called it out, and blessed me with that. Mm. And I always held on to that. And then in, um, when I gathered all these poems together later in life, um, I just decided, well, if I'm going to try to be a poet, I want to see if I can be a poet. Mm-hmm. And so I put together a book proposal, sent it off to a publisher. Um, I didn't even tell my wife that I'd done it because I knew I'd get rejected. Mm. And um, about six to eight weeks later, I got this email uh, saying that they would publish it. And Laura felt like the uh, dog chasing a bus and I called it. (laughs) Now what do I do? Mm. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it was putting them all together, finishing the editing, getting the formatting right. And, that's how I got started. Mm. And uh, I've learned just to try to be open to the muse, the inspiration, the whatever you want to call it that comes to me when I'm, uh, when I'm working on a poem. Some come real quick and almost finished, and some come just as one line, and I've got to dig down and find what was there. Mm. Well, I have to say right now, you are my favorite poet. And <laughs> it's what you're saying is reminding me of something I read that you said that one of the things you learned from James Hollis is that we're all asked to take risks, to live large, and to trust our soul. And it sounds like that's what you did. Well, that, that's exactly right. And that was, um, you know, that was terrifying. Mm-hmm. Um. But um, I have a quote over my desk uh, from um, uh, Gothe. I think that's how you say that. Goth. at the moment of commitment, the entire universe conspires to assist you. Um, and um, I got that from my therapist, and I had it 
sort of framed and it's right over my my desk yeah i love having reminders like that around us yeah i think some people pronounce it gerta i was shocked when i heard when i heard somebody pronounce it gerta i thought you mean goth yeah yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a what you on that? Yeah. very odd name, and it's also the name of of a street here in downtown Chicago. So ah. I hear it quite often. So this book, where shall we begin? The best of James Hollis. One of the things I love about it is that you cover all sixteen of Doctor Hollis's books on depth psychology, and he's also he's actually published. 17 books, uh, but the first one was about Harold Pinter, so that is not included. Uh, So there are 16 books we're working with. I actually made a graphic for the special page we have on Speaking of Young's website on Dr. Hollis, where I took all 16 of the book covers and I put eight on the top and eight on the bottom so that there is a graphic. And he's got a new book coming out. He, I was just emailing right. with him this week. Uh, it will be published by Chiron on January 1st of next year, 2022. And it is titled The Broken Mirror. So Dr. Hollis will be joining us uh, here on Speaking of Jung for our 100th episode. Uh, the date is to be determined. Today we're recording episode 95. Uh, Dr. Hollis agreed some time ago to be our 100th guest for his sixth episode with us. So I'd like to ask you how the idea, start there, uh, how the the idea for this book came to be, because you and Dr. Hollis go way back. Well, um, I first became familiar with um, Dr. Hollis's work, gosh, probably maybe 2001. Um, and as I said in the preface, um, sort of a midlife crisis time, and I stumbled upon uh, The Middle Passage. And I also like to say that that book also found me. And uh, I just devoured it. And then I started reading his other books. And one of the things I've always done that... um, helps me learn and retain things is to write them down. Mm -hmm. And so when I would finish a book and I'd highlight it, I would go back and I would uh, just write down passages uh, on my computer, uh, copy sentences and paragraphs and uh, make a file and a folder and save it. And I would print those up and stick it in my filing cabinet. So Um, I could go back and just sort of read the best of what I thought that book was. Mm -hmm. It was good reminders. And I did that with all of his books. And then when I retired, uh, October of 2019, I decided my um, first retirement project was I was going to reread all his books from the Middle Passage up to the Prisms um, just in order. Mm-hmm. Um, That's great. Straight through. Yeah. Um, and I took that and I added more notes. And as I was in that process, I remembered um, some of the young books of quotes that I had um, read. And I thought, well, gosh, it's like 
could I do that with Hollis? He, for example, he talks about complexes in so many of his different books. And it's all, uh, all of his explanations and examples and writings are, they're, they're the same, but they're different. Mm -hmm. There's different nuances, it's different emphasis. And so I thought, well, what if I tried to see what he wrote about complexes from all his books and just put it in one folder? So I started going through my notes again and started making um, folders, um, complexes and persona and projection. Then I realized there were all these other topics that were uh, throughout his books, like children and parenting and vocation. And um, then there was this great big catch-all phrase that I called the journey through life. Yeah. Um, and things just sort of fell into place. It was like the universe was conspiring to assist me in this. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was just a... Uh, a lot of fun just to sit down and start seeing what would happen with this and um, how things fell together. And so I thought, well, let me see what happens. Mm. And then I thought, um, well, let me see what Hollis thinks about this. So he was uh, kind and gracious to say, yes, go ahead and do it. And I started writing the publishers for permission and, uh, that was an interesting process in itself, but all that got worked out. And once I had all the permissions, I, uh, on Hollis's um, consultation, I contacted Chiron Publications, and they snatched it up. And I was I was just amazed mm -hmm. the way things fell into place, yeah. and um, it all came together. And the book contains a preface by Dr. Hollis. He wrote right. the preface. And I want to mention this because I think it's hilarious. Uh, in it, he says, when Logan Jones wrote to me many months ago, proposing this anthology of quotes, my first thought was, why would anybody want that book? That is so quintessential James Hollis, him yes. saying, why would anybody want that book? Can you imagine? That is hilarious. I know what. <laughs> What do you what do you have to say about that? Well, um, that's sort of my experience that he's a uh, in all his brilliance. Uh, there's just a humble uh, dignity about yes. him that um, that is grounded and uh, really anchored in his sense of who he is, uh, and that's consistent in his writings and. Um, my email interactions with him and things mm -hmm. like that, and the, the way the few times, three or four times I've heard him present, mm -hmm. uh, there's just a consistency there. Mm -hmm. And it's real. It isn't yes. my experience, and and let me know if this is yours too. My experience with him because you've actually met him in person as well, right? Yes, uh, at a couple of his uh, workshops. Yeah, and I too uh, first encountered him in person in 2001 when I was living in Columbus, Ohio. He came to uh, the Jung House there to speak. 
and I've seen him in Dallas and, and here in Chicago and, and a couple other places too. And he is very humble and very real. And he doesn't, my sense is, um, my sense is he doesn't like people gushing over him. I remember I was in Dallas back in 2003, I think. Um, there's a picture of us on my Instagram of us together. I was, I looked awful. I wasn't planning on going to this talk. I just happened to be in Dallas at the time and found out he was going to be there. And I asked the organizer if she would ask him if, if I could take a picture with him. And he just, you know, he wasn't like, some of the other uh, talks I've been to, some conferences and some lectures where the person presenting is kind of like the star and they're all shiny and polished and uh, uh, keeping people at a distance. That is not the case with Dr. Hollis. And I only mention this because he is very well known. Uh, he's yes. known throughout the world and he, he's huge, um, but very, very, very humble and it's genuine. Yes, it is. Yes, that's my experience. In his books, you know, he always talks about the uh, personal authority and authenticity, and um, and he he is that, uh, mm -hmm. and that sense of him being comfortable in his own skin and his path, I think, sort of, um, in a kind of a strange way, gave me permission to, yeah. okay, maybe I can do that too. Yeah, I don't have to be like him. I want to be like me. So I got to do my work and, and find my way. Um, but he was always out there as a, as a guide uh, for me. Mm -hmm. In the foreword, you say, he challenged me to find the courage not to run away from my pain but rather to lean into it and learn from it. I did not need to numb it or find distractions. He was pointing the way, but not to his path. He was pointing the way to mine. And that is so key. That is something yes. that right. that he taught me too. Right. And I think that's, uh, that is one of the great gifts that um, he gives through his writings is um, – that sense of that we're all unique individuals. We all have our own path. Um, and what we're called to do and who we are to be is to, to be on that path. Uh, that's our destiny. That's our fate. And uh, we can't do it for somebody else. We can't follow someone else's uh, path. We have to do ours. And He's real clear that that will involve suffering, but that will also provide meaning, um, and that makes it worthwhile. And that's why he, my original title for this book, Laura, was the journey. Um, the journey is our home. One of his quotes, uh, that that sense of journey that just pervades a lot of his writings is um, just so true. It just really resonated with me mm -hmm. and still does. 
that acceptance of our suffering is something that I learned in my analysis and James Hollis was one of my analysts, teaching analysts. Uh So it was one of the things that surprised me the most about the, the process we go through in Jungian analysis is about the acceptance of the suffering and how suffering is a good sign. That that stunned me. I just thought, what do you mean? You're here to take away my suffering. Right. And right. yeah, <laughs> I learned otherwise. Would you say a little bit about that? Well, um, that really is part of what the teaching of uh, seminary students and clergy about uh, pastoral care is that uh, the point is not to take away suffering or fix it. Um, I used to tell students that my job is not to make patients feel better. My job may be to help them feel worse so that they can feel better eventually, Mm -hmm. Uh, which means acknowledging uh, and honoring what they're going through and not slapping a Band-Aid, a metaphorical or theological Band-Aid over their pain. Um, That doesn't, that will just, um, it doesn't do anything with the pain. It just makes it go underground. But to hear the laments uh, and acknowledge the pain, uh, walk with somebody through that, um, you know, that's a, um, that's a very difficult thing to do. And it is very healing both for the patient and for the chaplain who's walking with them. Another thing that Dr. Hollis mentions in the preface to the book is about his own writing process. He says, one thing I learned and still encounter is that we do not know what we know until we're forced to bring it into consciousness by such process as writing requires of us. And so he was talking about his books. He said, all of them began as open questions to myself and wound up slowly transforming into platforms for public inquiry. So I'd like to, and I know this was a horrible segue from the profound thing you just said, um, but in the interest of time, I need to cover all these topics. So with that said, Dr. Hollis's 16 books, I would love to go over them one by one, but uh, I'm afraid that would take a little too long. So I'd like to point out Uh, or have you point out to us some of the highlights. And as you mentioned, you read them in chronological order. And and his first book on depth psychology was published by the late Jungian analyst Daryl Sharp at Inner City Books way back in, was it 1993? 1993, right. 93, and it's titled... Uh, the Middle Passage, From Misery to Meaning in Midlife. And that book was just featured on a television show called Ted Lasso. I saw that. Yeah, it airs on Apple TV+, Plus, which I don't have, so I haven't seen it yet. But they contacted Inner City Books for permission to feature that book. And from what I understand, uh, just the cover has been seen so far. Is that right? Yes. 
Would you tell us? Yeah, tell us a little bit about how it, how and why it appeared in that in that show. Well, on um, the show, the team psychologist has had a uh, bike accident, and Ted Lasso, the coach, Jason Sudeikis, uh, is bringing her home from the hospital. She's uh, got a concussion. And as he's getting her settled into apartment, he walks into, uh, I guess, her den, and on the table there, he picks up this book, turns it over, and you see the cover, the middle passage. And then he puts it back down, and the conversation continues. So it's just a, a, brisk, a brief glimpse of the book of the, co- of the cover, but there it is. There it is. And I think that they're going to get into more about the book because uh, they they asked Inner City Books for permission for the entire book. Wow. Well, I can't wait to see what they do with it. Yeah. So that was the first book of Dr. Hollis's that was published by Daryl Sharp. And they went on to publish seven more of his titles. Right. Uh, so he has eight total with Inner City Books. And Inner City Books, um, Daryl passed away a couple of years ago. And Inner City Books is still going, uh, is being run by Scott Milligan, who was Daryl's assistant there for many, many, many years. And you can listen to the story behind Inner City Books in episode 71 of this podcast. I had on Daryl's two sons, Ben and Dave, and Daryl's longtime editor, Victoria Cowan, and also Scott Milligan and Daryl's companion, Liz Jefferson. So that is a great episode. They're all friends of mine, and we really enjoyed uh, reminiscing about Daryl. So Dr. Hollis's eight titles with Inner City Books. He has three titles with Gotham Books, which is a division of the Penguin Group. He has two titles with Sounds True and two audiobooks with Sounds True, two titles with Chiron Publications and one scheduled for next year. And then he has one title with Texas A&M University Press, which was part of the Fay Lecture book series, which uh, we've been featuring on this podcast. Uh, and the 17th book, um, which was actually Dr. Hollis's very first book, on Harold Pinter is with Southern Illinois University Press. I don't have that book. Do you have that one? No, I do not. No, I think it's, oh, it's clearly, it's, I mean, it's out of print, but I think you can find it uh, on Amazon. I'll provide a link to what is available in the show notes for this episode. So 16 books, what stands out to you? (laughs) Um, Well, I think my, um, gosh, the, well, let me say my two favorite books are Creating a Life from 2001 and On This Journey We Call Our Life from 2003. Um, I caught those at an um, important time in my life, and uh, there was just so much richness in those two books that uh, like I've read on this journey we call our life four times now um, and 
one of the weird things I do when I reread a book, I will highlight in a different color. And um, yep. so, gosh, that book, that book is just uh, like a rainbow right now. Mm. Um, but it is just, um, it's just one of my favorites. And, uh, and I also liked um, the 2009 book, What Matters Most. Mm -hmm. um, that's, that's just another um, excellent, excellent book. Mm -hmm. So you and I don't know each other. Our first communication was, I think, a few weeks ago via email. I was, right. not, I, uh, was not familiar with, with you or with your work, yet we have very similar stories around James Hollis. We both encountered him for the first time in 2001. And we've both quoted him. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with me on Twitter. I joined Twitter back in 2009 and uh, created this account in 2010. And it really began with me quoting from inner city books, books. And specifically, uh, J. Gary Sparks, a Jungian analyst who's been a guest on this podcast, and with Dr. Hollis. And the first book that I tweeted cover to cover, I mean, I didn't tweet every single word in the book, but as I was reading it, when I would come across, you know how you would pull quotes from the books? Right. right yeah. I would tweet quotes from the books, but I did it from cover to cover. And that book was the one you mentioned on this journey we call our life, living the questions. And I'd have to say that that is one of my, my favorite books of his. And the other one is creating a life, which you just said, uh, the subtitle is finding your individual path, because I bought that book. Uh, I live here in Chicago and the Jung Center uh, in Evanston, which is just north of downtown Chicago, used to have a big, beautiful bookstore. And I bought this book. I'm holding it in my hand right now. And I started reading it uh, when we left the Jung Center um, and we're driving back. I started reading the book and I, I think I've told Dr. Hollis this, I'm not sure if it was on the episode or just privately, that in, is it an introduction? No, it there is no introduction to the book. It just starts with part one, creating a life, the necessity of personal myth. And what Dr. Hollis talks about in there about standing in the shower and crying, it just, it struck me and it touched me that someone of his caliber, his education, he's a grown man, he has a family, and that he would put himself out there and and write about that mm -hmm. really touched me. And I, I always remember it, and it was what? It was 20 years ago or 15 years ago that that I read that. And I remember I remember being in the car reading that and just being so moved by it and just feeling that. And I think you mentioned this, that he's speaking one's own language. Yes. Uh, I guess from the first time I read uh, some of um, Hollis's books, uh, it really resonated with me. And um, he talks a lot about the, what he calls the principle of resonance. Mm -hmm. um, 
or something that you just feel that it is right. It's what I call um, the inner tuning fork. Mm-hmm. And when that is vibrating, um, you know something is right for you. Um, may not be right for anybody else, but for you, um, there's always that sense of I've got to trust this. And so that sense of personal authority and authenticity, um, finding a, a usable and mature spirituality that makes sense to you and not just what is passed down through institutions. Um, his focus on tending to the soul and paying attention to the gods. Um, I mean, all that was just, yes, here's somebody who, um, you know, really speaks the language that speaks to me. So I just felt like um, he knew me from the get-go. Yeah. Uh, I was just uh, um, just remarkable. The, uh, the, the way that my understanding of life and who I was trying to be, just he helped me help that uh, to thicken that story, uh, thicken that identity process I was in, the individuation, um, and just um, his emphasis on, you know, facing our fears and taking the risk and um, being who we're called to be just over and over again. You know, it's like, Sometimes I feel like I got to be hit in the head with a two by four for it to get through. And right. um, he just kept hitting me in the head and it finally sank in. And patiently, too. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yeah. Very, very patiently and kind and um, understanding the difficulty of the work. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he knows that the sense I get from him is that he's right in there with us. He isn't up on a pedestal or up on a podium talking down to us. He's right in there with us. Right. Yeah. He, he is, um, he is a side by side companion yeah. uh, on the journey, I think. Yeah. And I'd like to mention that, um, and, and I, I only mention it because it's it's not private; it's public. He is now eighty-one years old, right. and he is still writing. He is still out there working. I mean, now that that uh, the travel is is still somewhat restricted, um, he's doing webinars. And I would like to mention uh, some of his upcoming webinars uh, through the Macmillan Institute for Jungian Studies. He will be presenting on his upcoming book, The Broken Mirror, Refracted Visions of Ourselves, every Monday in November from 6.30 to 8 o'clock p.m. Central Time. Since it's through the Macmillan Institute for Jungian Studies, it is through the Jung Center in Houston. So there will be a link to that in the show notes. And also on Wednesdays in November, the same course will be offered by the Jung Society of Washington, D.C. That will be again on Wednesday evenings from 7 o'clock to 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time. He will also be presenting, let me see here, a webinar through the Jung Society of Atlanta on November 6th titled The Large Forms Rolling Beneath the Surface of Our Lives. 
and a lecture workshop in January of 2022 titled The Personal Myth in Turbulent Times through the Young Society of Sarasota, Florida. So that's what he has as far as webinars left this year. There are always the online video courses that are being offered through the Young Society of Washington, D.C. You can begin the course anytime. It's not a set day and time. You can do them at your own pace and you will have lifetime access to the videos. Um, there are four of them and they are based on his books. Uh, one is Creating a Life, which we just mentioned. The other is on Living an Examine Life. Uh, the Interpretation of Dreams, which is actually not a book, um, The Interpretation of Dreams, Dreams as a Path to Personal Authority is one of the courses. And then the other one is Tracking the Gods, the Movement of Archetypal Powers in Our Time. And I was just emailing back and forth with him this week, and I had asked about the Middle Passage, and I was wondering if that was his thesis when he graduated from the Jung Institute in Zurich, and he said, no, Tracking the Gods was, and mm -hmm. I didn't know that. So that book, it's an inner city books title, Tracking the Gods, the Movement of Archetypal Powers in Our Time, uh, is, or uh, was, his thesis when he graduated so he's still out there working uh, as much as ever. In my teaching of clergy, um, what he writes about persona and shadow were just critical mm -hmm. um, because clergy can get so um, seduced by the role mm -hmm. um, that um, then they lose their sense of self in that. And... Um, then their shadow gets buried, and uh, that's just inviting all sorts of trouble. So now, would that be part of the training that that one would go through in those fields, or not? Well, um, not in your sort of typical seminary education, but mm -hmm. I think in the clinical pastoral education process, uh, looking at identity, not just... Um, not all the good stuff that a person has, but also some of the messy stuff that uh, can leak out. And uh, that becomes the real grist for learning. Yeah. Um, I always tell students that when God doesn't just call your light and goodness, God calls the darkness and shadow too. God calls your total who you are. And, um, Certainly, I've learned that the the power that's in the shadow uh, is where a lot of the healing comes from. Mm -hmm. um, I always like Robert Bly's description of the shadow as the long bag we drag behind yeah. us. And um, so part of that process of pulling things out of the bag, um, the good things that our parents um, didn't appreciate and we're not part of our family of narrative uh, that we can reclaim and recover and uh, begin to bless. Yeah, that must be difficult, especially in, in that profession, uh, to, to look at that and to acknowledge that and to own that. Well, it, it can be, and it is also um, very um, liberating. 
mm-hmm. um, and freeing for people. Um, I've had, <clears throat> I can't tell you how many people in the hospital patients have said to me, now, chaplain, I want to tell you this because I can't tell this to my pastor. And they may speak of their uh, doubts and questions uh, about God and their faith. And it's tragic because they're in a faith community that doesn't allow for that. Um, if you have doubts, then you're not, you don't have enough faith. Mm. So that doesn't mean it goes away. It just goes underground and they suffer in silence. Yeah. And so, uh, if I'm open to that part of our human experience uh, and know something of my own uh, story, then I think people know that uh, hopefully I can be a safe person that they can tell that to, and uh, I'll just listen to it. I won't admonish them, uh, give them a Bible quote, you know, pray that they have faith or anything like that but just simply to be there and be present with their struggles. And that's, that's true for patients and for students in this learning process too. Thank you so much for mentioning that. And one of the uh, final topics I'd like to cover is that of men, because Dr. Hollis has been focusing on that lately and he gave a webinar back in August uh, with the East-West Center for Psychotherapy that I attended. And there were two talks. And one of them was, why is therapy with men so difficult? And when I told him how much I enjoyed it and how I, I took so many notes on it, he told me that the material in that talk is going to be in the new book, The Broken Mirror, Refracted Visions of Ourselves. And Dr. Hollis also wrote and co-produced and stars in a new film. It's a it's an indie short, they call it, called Soul Heal with Nancy Swift-Ferlotti, a fellow Jungian analyst who uh, was my guest on the last episode we did, episode 94. And you can watch this film. It was directed by Jose Enrique Pardo. You can watch it for $1.99. You have 72 hours from the time you start it until uh, your rental runs out. So you can watch it as many times as you'd like. And the focus of that film is about the wounding and healing of men. And I don't know if, you, if, if you've had a chance to see it. I have. I have seen it. Um, it, was, it was very good. And um, there's a lot, a lot of truth in it. I like how this issue of the the pain that men are in and how we got here as far as the I'm being so careful with what I say because of the times we're in right now but um watch the film it speaks for itself and and I highly recommend it um and I look forward to reading what Dr. Hollis is going to be including about men in the broken mirror. Uh, he, he does cover the topic in his book. It was published back in 1994 under Saturn's shadow subtitled the wounding and healing of men published by inner city books. Do you remember anything in particular about that book? 
Well, you have a whole chapter on men in this new book. Yeah, and it, it really sort of, that whole excerpt really probably just came from that one book. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's a, there's a lot of truth to that. And, um, you know, I think it's almost like he's coming back to a second edition of it. So I can't wait to read that either. Mm -hmm. um, I think one of the things that um, for men is that we don't, um, maybe this is why therapy is so hard. There's such a sense of shame yeah. that I think men live with and don't even know how to name or even talk about. And so um, that contributes to um, a lot of other acting out and um, toxic behaviors uh, in relationships. So um, I don't have any answers for that. It's just sort of my experience, I think. Mm -hmm. Well, I I will uh, let the film speak for itself. And again, it's only $1.99 and you can rent it and watch it online. There is also another film that Dr. Hollis is in that is available online. It's on Vimeo. It's titled Summons of the Soul. And I was watching that this morning and I love how bold he is about how uh, short-term therapy why it doesn't work and how these uh, life coaches out there are really just motivational speakers and they're not working at depth. And that was something else I, I wanted to mention about Dr. Hollis. Yes, he's a Jungian analyst and he cites the work of Carl Gustav Jung throughout all of his books, but he doesn't specifically just mention analytical psychology. He mentions depth psychology um, because he also mentions Freud a lot. And every time I hear Dr. Hollis speak, I always wait for that Freud mention. It's always at least once. There it is. He mentioned Freud. Uh, so, and he quotes um, poets and lots of literature. And one analyst I know, uh, I, I won't name them, says that they have to keep a dictionary next to them um, when they read Dr. Hollis's books yes, yes. because of the words he uses words I've never seen before. And I love right. that. Right. All right. He just, uh, yeah, I'm like that. I got to look up a lot of the words, Yeah, but it's not in a pretentious way. It's, I think he's searching for exactly the right word. So it's very specific. And again, it's not in a pretentious way. It's in a very natural way because of his, his background in literature. And um, that's his, what his PhD is in. Right. Um, because he taught for, I think, 20 years before he became a Jungian right. analyst. Right. I guess the last thing I would like to mention, Laura, is that is what I said in um, the preface to the book, that reading Hollis is like going on an archaeological dig. Mm. There's so much treasure that you will find. Uh, it just by... Um, Slowing down and reading carefully, um, the wisdom is there waiting to be uh, grappled with and um, reflected on and incorporated into our lives. Mm -hmm. And the, archae the archaeological dig through his reading uh, is paralleled by the invitation to do our own archaeological dig into our souls. 
Wonderfully put. Thank you so much for joining us today, Reverend Dr. Jones. Thank you, Laura. Thank you for having me. It's been fun. Please visit the website, Speaking of Jung, that's J-U-N-G, dot com for more information on everything that was discussed in this episode. There you will also find all of the previous episodes of this podcast, which are available to stream or to download for free. This episode is also available on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music. And it will be available later in the week on our YouTube channel, Jungian Laura. You can also listen to this podcast on your Amazon Echo device, simply by saying, Alexa, play Speaking of Jung on Apple Podcasts. Just be sure to pronounce Jung with a hard J. Links to Amazon's new Echo devices can be found in the show notes. So with special thanks to John Daly, Jennifer Fitzgerald, Dr. Stephen Buser, and Dr. Leonard Cruz at Chiron Publications, and to the late Daryl Sharp, Victoria Cowan, Dave Sharp, Ben Sharp, Liz Jefferson, and Scott Milligan at Inner City Books, this is Laura London, and you've been listening to Speaking of Jung. <laughs>